Hi, my name is John Nelson, and yes, if you were expecting Lori Denning's podcast, The 20-Minute Scriptorian, you're in the right place. Lori was kind enough to give me the opportunity to be your substitute teacher for today. Like Lori, I too am a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and a believer in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. I love learning, and I love sharing the things that I have learned, especially about the Scriptures and the Restored Gospel. I really like how Lori emphasizes that her podcast is a little bit scholarly, a little bit inspirational, and always with the the aspiration that this podcast will help each of us become better disciples of Christ. And I hope that will be your experience as you listen. As usual, we'll be following the Come Follow Me curriculum, and today we will be exploring Helaman chapters 1 through 6. And, of course, the obligatory disclaimer that these thoughts are my own and they are not an official representation of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So, let's get started. To lay the the foundation for today's conversation, I, I want to assume two things. One, that you've already listened to episode 101, the, the all-about episode for the Book of Helaman that Lori released just a few days ago. And two, that you've already been through the entire Book of Mormon at least once and you already know how the story ends and and how the overall uh, narrative flows. Now, I I want you to know the forest that we are sometimes walking in and sometimes flying above. It'll, It'll make things a whole lot easier. So, to the Book of Helaman. When, when we start reading the Book of Helaman, one of the first things, and, and literally one of the first things that we see is the sentence, an account of the Nephites. This is in the introduction to the book of Helaman, which, which we know is ancient text and was written by Mormon. The second sentence in the introduction says that the, the book of Helaman is an account of the Nephite wars, the Nephite contentions, and the Nephite dissensions. Now, a few sentences later, the Lamanites are mentioned referring to an account of their conversions and an account of their righteousness. But I think that it is significant that Mormon places the Lamanites with, within the context of the account of the Nephites. As a, as a skilled writer, Mormon is immediately removing ambiguity and drawing our attention to who I would say are the protagonists of the story, and actually of the entire Book of Mormon. So, to, to this idea, let's, let's look at Helaman chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, where, <laughs> where Mormon gives us the spoiler, right? That he, he says, quote, uh, This Gadianton did prove the overthrow, yea, almost the entire destruction of the people of Nephi. Now, the people of Nephi appear to be Mormon's main concern. And that's why I think of them as the protagonist. So, let's step back. First, I think it's interesting to note that in the original text of the Book of Mormon, there was actually no division between what we now have as chapters 1 and 2. At that time, they were one chapter. So that with the original Helaman chapter 1, uh, it ended with this statement about the destruction of Nephites. And so from a literary standpoint, it appears Mormon gives us the Nephite-focused introduction. Then through 
what we know as chapters 1 and 2. He introduces the key elements of the story arc about the power and the secret combinations and then returns to his main character and foreshadows the, the gravity of the Nephite situation. The, the second thing that I want to point out is, is that as, as we take a scholarly approach to interpreting the text of the scriptures, we need to be mindful of, of exegesis and, and eisegesis, uh, both being methods of textual interpretation. However, the exegesis is the approach we want and eisegesis is the approach we want to avoid. I know Lori has mentioned this before, where exegesis is when we as the scholar draw out the, the text's meaning while making sure that we're honoring the author's intentions. And eisegesis is when we put in or impose our interpretation and our biases on the text. So exegesis, when done correctly, tends to be objective, whereas the eisegesis approach is subjective. So when, when I make a claim regarding the interpretation of the text or what I think is the intention of the author, it's, it's incumbent upon me to make sure that I'm completely transparent in my observations, in my interpretations, and also how I'm correlating the, the current text with the larger canon of scripture, I should be able to give you enough textual support that you can verify for yourself what I'm drawing out of the text. And so back to the text, at this point, at the end of chapter 2, what I'm seeing is that Mormon wants to f our focus um, to be on the Nephites. So from an uh, exegetical standpoint, let, let me give you one other scriptural example that I think strengthens this idea of the centrality of the Nephites to this whole story, uh, while also helping us to put the Lamanites into proper perspective. So, after naming the Gadiantans at the end of chapter 2, Mormon then starts chapter 3 with a description of the Nephite migration and, and their expansions north into the land of desolation. He then mentions in, in verse 15 that there are many books and records that have been chiefly kept by the Nephites. And then, then he gives us verse 16. He says, um, And they, meaning the records, have been handed down from one generation to another by the Nephites even until... And now, now check out this list. So even until the Nephites have fallen into transgression have been murdered, plundered, and hunted, and driven forth, and slain, and scattered upon the face of the earth, and mixed with the Lamanites until they are no more called the Nephites, becoming wicked and wild and ferocious, yea, even becoming Lamanites. So it appears, once again, that Mormon... Um, is bringing us back to the destruction of the Nephites, but has now given us some more detail about the cause of their destruction, the circumstances, and, um, and then their final condition. But take a look at a few things. First of all, the cause is the Nephite transgression. Mormon doesn't even bring up the Gadiantans or, or even secret combinations in this list. The focus is on the Nephites. Second, Mormon uses uh, a passive voice 
when describing the murders, the plundering, being driven and, and slain and scattered, scattered. You know, we can assume that it's by the Lamanites because we have a lot of examples of where the Lamanites were the aggressors when the, when the Nephites had become wicked. In fact, I, I skipped over the attack by the Lamanites on Zarahemla in chapter 1, um, but, but I think Mormon uses this passive voice because the important part is not who is doing the murdering or the plundering or the scattering. The important part is what caused it initially, and that was Nephite transgression. And, and then when, Norm, when Mormon does name the Lamanites, they're actually not active participants in the drama. They're, they're not treated like the antagonists of the story, right? It's, it's, it's not Nephites versus Lamanites. Mormon seems to position the Lamanites as though they are simply part of the context of the Nephite story, where they're part of the background. And I think a better way to describe it would be that the Lamanites in this narrative are actually the foil of the story. Uh, and so for those who aren't familiar, I, I'm defining a literary foil as a character in a story that has certain characteristics or attributes that are in opposition to the protagonist so that we can then set the protagonist and the foil side by side, set the Nephites by the Lamanites for a compare and contrast. The foil character is then used to highlight some particular quality or, or qualities of the main character that we want to, to emphasize. So I think Mormon wants us to focus squarely on the Nephites and to recognize that the Lamanites are not the antagonist, but that they embody the characteristics of what the Nephites might become. In fact, as I mentioned, I would go so far as to say that the Lamanites were never really the literary antagonists in the Book of Mormon, but we, we can leave that for another time. Right now, I think we can confidently say that our focus in the Book of Helaman should be squarely on the Nephites. So, why might this be important? Uh, I think that one of the challenges that the Book of Helaman creates for Latter-day Saint readers is a certain amount of character ambiguity, right? Good and bad seems to get turned around at this point. The good guys who were supposed to be the Nephites now become the bad guys. The bad guys who are supposed to be the Lamanites now become the good guys. And, and nobody is even really sure exactly who the Gadiantans are because they, they keep appearing and disappearing in the text as quickly as they seem to appear and disappear in Nephite society, right? So there's a lot of ambiguity and uncertainty. And in some ways, th this, this chaos and this confusion of the Book of Helaman actually feels very much like society today. And, and in fact, we've been told that it should since the pattern of the events leading to Christ's coming at the meridian of time in 3rd Nephi 11 are a type of the pattern or the events leading to the second coming of Christ in the latter days, right? So navigating through the chaos of the book of Helaman helps us navigate some of the chaos that we're facing in our times today. So I have to ask, how do we navigate through the chaos and the uncertainty in our times? Well, 
I think it starts by focusing on the who and the what that are most important to Mormon here, and he's giving us clues. So, for instance, I mentioned the protagonists and the foil, right? The Nephites are the protagonists, the Lamanites are the foil, but who are the antagonists? If the Lamanites aren't the bad guys in the story, who are? And this is where we can see examples within the book of Helaman, but I think we also need to draw upon earlier texts like the book of Messiah and, and the book of Alma. But before going there, I should probably define what I mean by an antagonist in literature. Um, the antagonist is not the main character of the story, but is the chief instigator of the conflict with the protagonist. So, who is the chief instigator of conflict for the Nephites? One of the motifs that has been growing in clarity since Mosiah 29 with the establishment of the reign of the judges is the impact of the Nephite dissenters upon the Nephites and Nephite society. You're probably already really familiar with this, but let me quickly run through some history. And uh, for what it's worth, I think the impact of the, the apostates and the dissenters is actually present from the opening, the very opening of the Book of Mormon. But for, for argument's sake, let's just focus on the dissenters during the reign of the judges. So in Alma 1, we meet Nehor. Alma 2, we meet Amlicite and his followers, and we see the Amlicites joining the Lamanites. In Alma 3, we see the apostate Nephites marking themselves and becoming Lamanites. In Alma 5, Alma goes to preach to the church, to the Nephites, to try and cleanse the church and bring order back in Zarahemla. Then 6 through 14, he continues to preach to apostate members of the church all throughout in, in the outlying areas. In Alma 24, we read of the Amalekites and the Amulonites, who were apostate Nephites, stirring up the Lamanites to anger because of their frustration with um, the anti-Nephi Lehites who converted to the gospel. Then in Alma 25, we see Lamanite aggression spreading. In Alma 27, we see the Amalekites as the cause, and again, stirred up uh, people in anger against the anti-Nephi Lehites be, and, and, and began to destroy them, which led to the massive battle in Alma 28. In Alma 30, we meet Korahor as an antichrist. And, and I'm not sure if it's clear if Korahor's Nephite, but he was teaching apostate doctrine similar to Nehor, and he seemed to see himself as a deliverer of the Nephites. Then Alma 31 through 35, Alma goes to the apostate Zoramites. Alma 39 through 42, Alma actually is helping Corianton with his own apostasy. Uh, you can see the pattern here. Then Alma 43, the Zoramites become Lamanites and begin preparations for war. And it's noted that the Amalekites were of a more wicked and murderous disposition than the Lamanites, and thus they were made chief captains over the Lamanite armies in order to preserve their hatred toward the Nephites. In Alma 46, we see Amalekiah conspiring to be king of the Nephites and then becomes king of the Lamanites in order to obtain his ultimate goal, power over the Nephites. And then we get an editorial comment regarding the Nephite dissenters among the Lamanites in Alma 47.36. It says, quote, These dissenters, having the same instruction and the same information of the Nephites, yea, having been instructed in the same knowledge of the Lord, nevertheless, it is strange to relate, not long after their dissensions, they became more hardened, and impenitent, and more wild, wicked, and ferocious than the Lamanites, drinking in with the traditions of the Lamanites, 
giving way to indolence and all manner of lasciviousness, yea, entirely forgetting the Lord their God. We have this consistent message about the Nephite dissenters and apostates leading right up to and into the book of Helaman, and then the book of Helaman. But before we look at the, the dissenters in Helaman chapter 1, I want to describe a, a kind of logical fallacy that we need to guard against in order to sure we don't slip into eisegesis when we're trying to do exegesis, and it's this idea of argument from silence, or argumentum ex silentio is the, the Latin for it. And there's a, a few ways that, that we can run into problems with this argument from silence, but I want to focus on where we read our biases into the silence. So being faithful members of the church, readers of the Book of Mormon, we run the risk of reading deeply into the text and making assumptions about what we think the author meant to say, but never really got around to actually saying. And then we use our personal interpretation to fill those gaps. So let's look at some specific verses in Helaman chapter 1. So it, it opens in verse 1 with this serious difficulty among the Nephites, right? And Pahoran seniors died. There was contention as to who should fill the judgment seat. Verse 3 gives us the names of the candidates, Pahoran Jr., Payonkai, and Pecumenai. Well, what do we know about the substance of the contention? What was the topic of their debate? What was the point of their contention? We have no idea. Mormon is completely silent on the issue. But what Mormon does choose to tell us is interesting. Verse 3, he said that Pehor and Peonkai and Pecumenai did cause the people to contend. And in verse 4, the candidates caused three divisions among the people. So then Pecumenai steps out and says, fine, uh, I'll go with the voice of the people, but Peonkai didn't. And in verse 7, he talks about he was about to flatter his people to rise up in rebellion, but he was taken and tried for rebellion before he could. Again, we could ask, what was the nature of the flattery? What was he going to say? Well, we have no idea. And it appears that Mormon has chosen to remain silent on the issue. And we would probably be safest to leave it there. Um, if you were interested, a study of the use of the word flattery to describe how dissenters speak is a pretty interesting and fruitful uh, direction. But let's, let's come back to Mormon and why he might have included what he did about these three politicians. So, given the lack of detail, it seems like we are being told just enough to keep the story going, which brings us to verses 9 through 12, the secret combinations of these Nephite dissenters. So, Given the silence regarding the substance of the political discussion, and given the historical emphasis on the impact of dissenters of Nephite society, I think it's reasonable to conclude that Mormon wants us to see the latest evolution of the antagonist in our story. Our, our antagonists have now demonstrated that they are willing and able to murder that they might get gain. So, is Pankai liberal or conservative, Republican or Democrat? This appears to be totally irrelevant to Mormon. There's nothing in the text that even looks like clues or indicators that this matters to Mormon. So, what does matter to Mormon? I think it's keeping the primary focus on the Nephites, not necessarily the Lamanites and not necessarily the Gadiantans, although we'll talk more about them in, in upcoming sections. We see 
in Helaman 4, verse 15, the simple phrase, and it came to pass that they did repent, and as much as they did repent, they began to prosper. Simple as that. Well, looks like we are out of time. Thank you for spending your time with me, and thank you to Lori for letting me be your substitute teacher today. I hope you found your time well spent.